All right, now go to Exodus 35. And before, um, if you haven't done so, or as you do that, I, I want to say that uh, this is a sermon that I've been praying about for a couple of months, and um, I ha- I'm driving a narrow road here this morning. Okay, this is a very, like, you know, um, it's a one-way road that it's, has very, you know, a lot, of, a lot of turns, and I have to be careful not to crash, and here's what I mean by that. Um, the sermon this morning is about uh, the principles that Scripture lays out at a very foundational level of, of giving, of offering, of tithes, and generosity in the local church. And when I say that, really it's about, can I say the word, the M word, money? Can I say that, right? I mean, it's about money. And so when you think about money, I, I think it, it's a very, I have to be cautious here. Because there's two people here that I'm preaching to, and, and you know, sometimes I fall on one side and sometimes on the other. Because when we talk about money, there's two problems right, when it comes to church and money. One, it's too personal. It's, too, it's just simply too personal. We don't talk about money in my house. A, uh, Fidelity Investments did a research um, on cohabitating couples and how they um, share financial information. They found that 34% of cohabitating couples, married or not, could not tell what the other person was making. Another study said that um, only 17% of parents with income, uh, c- incomes over $100,000 had told their children how much money they made and what their, nerf, uh, their net worth was. Let's be honest here, right? People are usually more comfortable talking to their friends about what? Mental illness, addiction, racial injustice, sex, uh, politics, but money? Ooh, you don't talk about that in church. And you definitely don't talk about my money in church. So you have one, one spectrum here. But you have another one. You have those who, by, unfortunately, have been hurt by how money has been handled in the local church. Right? You've had a preacher, you've had a gifted speaker, a charismatic guy tell you, listen, church, we just need $100,000. And if you don't give, then you're not in it in what God's doing. And you give, and then you find out the guy lives in a really nice place with a really nice car, and you go, well, what? it just doesn't make sense. And so you, you distrust what God is doing by your experience. So you, so you have, it's too personal. I don't talk about money in church because God is going to take care of everything. And then on the other side, you go, I don't talk about money because I've never seen it done right. Now, uh, th- let me tell you why we have to do this. Because discussing um, finances, money, um, is actually essential. Not Let's just forget the church for a second. Forget the whole you're going to help us build something big, which is kind of where we're going this morning. But, but it's actually essential to you. It's actually to your growth as a uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. There are more than 2,000 scriptures on tithing, money, possessions in the Old Testament and New Testament. If you combine all the passages about faith and prayer, it, it actually doesn't even come up to, to, that, to that number. And there's a reason for this, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 24? To his disciples, you cannot serve both God and who and what, and money. But he didn't say money. He actually he had called it mammon, which is an idol. It was a pagan idol that people worshipped. And so it, it really, uh, God desires our devotion, and He knows that you, in our church, all of us will be tempted to devote ourselves to money more than God. Now that's a very basic. I think that's that's a good ground to begin with. Because I'm not going to preach to you and end it with, so everybody, if you give only $50 a month, you know, that's not how this is going to end. This is going to end with you doing some heart-searching work of whether or not we're, we're just uh, laissez-faire, as they call it, right? Just kind of 
nonchalant about this topic or we're just simply too wounded to come back and give to the Lord. So with that, um, you, uh, if you're in Exodus 35, I'm going to give you the, the fastest, uh, you know, 50-second summary of uh, the book of Exodus. And I have a little, yeah, there you go. I have a little graph there. Um, but before we get to 35, I think this is, this is important because there's this actually a storyline that, that follows uh, uh, Exodus 35. Exodus is, you know, you know some of these aspects, right? From chapters 118, you get the story of Israel, right? God's chosen people, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Grow. They get so big that the new Pharaoh in Egypt says, these guys are becoming so powerful. There's so many of them. We got to enslave them, and we got to put them to work. I mean, that's, that's a very smart way to, you know, uh, enslave people. And so that's what he does. He does it for 400 plus years. But God hears their cry. People had died. People had suffered greatly. And he heard the blood from the ground. And he said, I'm going to bring justice. And I'm going to use a man named Moses. So, so that's Exodus 1 through 18. Uh, but then God says, now that I'm taking you out of this place in, in slavery, you, you, you walk like a slave. You talk like a slave. You look like a slave. You know what God says? Okay, as a freed person, I'm going to give you the new constitution of how to live as a freed person. And so that's what God does in uh, Exodus 19 through 24. And then he says, listen, I'm going to bring you to a land full of milk and honey, a promised land where uh, although there's people there called the Canaanites and they're gonna, not going to like it when you come, I'm going to take care of you. And you're going to go there. You're going to take over that land and I'm going to bless you. But before you get there, here's what you're going to do. You're going to build me a house. And this is uh, Exodus 30, uh, 25 to 31, which is a tabernacle, right? You got anybody heard of the tabernacle maybe in a little bit, right? So he, he says, build me a house. He gives them all these regulations, all these materials, all these skilled artisans uh, that, that he tells them. He says, you're going to build me a house before we get to the promised land. You know why he's, you know he's doing that? You've got to worship me in the desert before I put you in the promised land. Does that make sense what God would do that? Right? He wants to train people how to worship with new constitution, with a new law, and in a new place so that when they get to home, when they get to the actual place of worship, it'll be a natural expression of what they've been doing in the desert okay and and so but but as always here's man's storyline right god blesses you god is with you god is always good and, and who messes it up man right what happens in exodus 32 and 34 well and and, and just picture this right moses is up there in mount sinai really high mountain and he's up there there's cloud of smoke there's earthquake there's fire there's rumblings and Moses is re receiving the, the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments. You know, God's talking to him like a friend, the Bible says. And all of a sudden, the people, 40 days, 40 nights. And the people of Israel at the base of this mountain. And they're sitting there, and they're just like, when is Moses going to come back? It's just 40 days. And they go, hey, Aaron, when is, when is, where is God? When is he going to come back? So what do they do? They begin to uh, bring all their jewelry their earrings, everything they own, and they build a golden calf. I know you're familiar with this story, but, but just picture this. I was thinking about it, and I shared this once. Picture this. You see all this happening, and you know God is there. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you could hear a, a rumbling and thundering, can't you? You can hear that. They see that, and in the background, I mean, or at the base, they're building an idol while they're seeing God with Moses. Now, that just shows you how rebellious we can be, isn't it? Like, you can see God, and you can have God right in front of you, looking over you, and still build an idol for you. Well, that's exactly what they were doing. And so what does Moses do? He, this is Exodus 32, verse 19. This is Mo Moses coming down from, from Mount Sinai. When Moses approached the camp, do I have that? Yeah. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and dancing, 
His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. This is Exodus 32, 19. Now remember, Moses was there for 40 days, 40 nights with these incredible supernatural tablets. What does he do? He breaks them because they had broken, I would say, all commandments. They had rejected and rebelled against God. And so this is Exodus 32 through 34. And so in this, this, this is where 35 to 40, um, uh, it, it's this, the, it's the end of the book of Exodus. So God, so Moses, what does Moses do? Moses says, uh, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, give us one more chance. God relents. He said, I will forgive the people. And I'm going to bring them back to the land. There's more to that, but I want to give you just a brief summary. And so here is where Exodus 35 lays. After they've, uh, the Lord has forgiven God's people, after they have gone through this journey in the wilderness, and God tells them, okay, I'm going to keep my promise of bringing you to this land. And so with that, um, l- let, me, let me just say, l- let's read verses 1 through 3. Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. So go there with me, and let's begin as we think about what God commanded them to do. So we read, Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord had commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day um, shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath. Rest to the Lord. Whoever does not work on it, uh, whoever does any work on it, is to be put to death. Ouch. Uh, Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Okay, so here we have God's chosen covenant community community being told, you're going to... We're going to pick up where we left off. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. And you're going to build me a house. Like, if you wanted to ask, like, if you wanted to ask God, Lord, like, w- how would you build, I don't know, your purposes on the earth? This is, this is, how, this is the model of how God does it. And so he, he says, I'm going to build the tabernacle. I'm going to use God's people. But even before he gets to, um, okay, you need to give me your offering. Before you need to give me your skill. Before God asks him for anything. Here's what God does. God actually calls them to obey. He actually calls them back to the law that they had broken. The calling of God's people to rebuild the temple, to build a house for God, does not begin with the work itself. I don't know if you, I don't know if you see that from this text. You know how you think that you, it would have worked, right? They're, they're back with God, right? They're going to pick up back what they left off. What would God say? All right, uh, stop putting the foundation down, right? G- get me the stuff. Let, let, let's begin working on what we started. No, uh the Lord step, takes a step back. He actually brings back the law which they had broken and tells them, you must obey my word, especially this one on the Sabbath. We just saw that in Exodus 32, um, God, God reaffirmed. God reaffirmed that this is how they would do this. In the building of the house of God, God's people would not do it their own way. Israel would rest upon the obedience to what God had commanded. It would be very easy for Israelites to say, um, well, let's get to work. We're redeemed. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's get on with it. But the Lord does not need that. The Lord does not need us to do so. But rather, first, the Lord uh, calls his people to obey. Now, how, what does this have to do with this, you know, money and giving? Well, um, when we come before God, uh, the first thing he calls us to do, let me just say this, is not to give. He calls us to obey. Serving God um, is not a substitution to obedience. And here's what I mean, that there are often times where we, want to give and we want to offer to God and I'm talking about finances and giving and all these things and and there's people that actually feel pride in how much they give they feel that almost God needs your money in a way like almost like I I gotta give 
But giving does not make you a Christian. It simply uh, makes you an obedient Christian. And I say that because as you think about what God wants to do in this church, and really any, any local church, wherever the Lord has called you, the primary thing he's looking in that church is not just to be a generous church. You know what he's looking for? An obedient church. Does that make sense for some of you guys, right? See, because if the Lord was just after money, I mean, you can have a really good salesman up here, right? You guys know that, right? And he could, he could just sell you so much, and then you'll go, man, I'll give, and now you keep giving. What the Lord is after is obedience. The first thing he tells God's people before they begin to build and give into the tabernacle is obey. For six, wor- for six days, work is to be done, but on the seventh day, your day shall be holy. This is the fourth commandment. Okay, this is important, right? That, that when we give, we're not paying God, right? It, 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 as you're going to see, it's an overflow of the heart and the willingness of our heart. In Colossians 2.16, uh, I don't know if I have you yet, Colossians 2, 16, 17, we know that the Sabbath and the death year was fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regards to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things to, co- to come. The reality, however, is found in who? In Christ, right? So, so what, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, uh, you know God's not going to kill you because you don't keep the Sabbath because the reality here today is that all of it is found in Christ. Our obedience, our submission, our prayer, our devotion now is to Christ's own word. And of course, everything's summarized in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all you got and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so at the, at the very least, before we even get to the commandment uh, or how we are to give, we must first say, um, do we obey God's word? Do we live for Christ? Do we submit to his word? Do we love Jesus? Because without this backing, right, all, all we are is just kind of like a, we're just giving money without real purpose. Okay, now look. Look at verse 4. Look at what the people do. Um, actually, look at Moses' statement here. After giving the uh, commandment to obey the word of God, ver- verses 4 through 9. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, that's right, goat hair, um, ram skins dyed red, and another uh, type of durable leather. This is NIV, by the way, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, Spices for the anointing oil for the frag- and for the fragrance incense. And onyx stones um, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breast piece. Now, if you want to underline a word here, if you want to underline um, verse 5, gi- they're going to give from what they have. The Lord calls this covenant community. Once they submit to his word and they say, they are, have allegiance to me and I'm going to walk in the ways God has called us to walk in this new covenant relationship because we've sinned greatly before God but now we are in a new relationship what he does he says bring him an offering but but this commandment begins with what you have now think about this I was thinking about this if God is God could God not just have made up the temple himself right do you guys think that if he is God could God just make things appear I want to say yes because he is God But yet God gives a commandment for his people to play a role in the building up of his plans on the earth. I don't know about you, but that makes him feel pretty special, 
when he comes to the gospel. That we're not separated from God. It is not as if God is doing his own thing and we're just kind of trying to catch up. God is trying to catch us up in his narrative of the redemptive history. So this concept of giving is, is, should not be lost on us. The first thing that he asks people is give from what you have. Now, we're all, I want to I say this, that we're all in different social circles, educational, and financial places. You know, m- maybe you think you have a good posture towards giving, or uh, as we say, I'm pretty generous. <laughs> you know, we can judge ourselves that way. But uh, I, I know this, that you and I have a lot. You and I have a lot. And here's how I know that you and I have a lot. And I, I'm going to say the word money again. We have a lot of money. Here's how I know. I have a little graph here. Um, and, and this is, if you want to check this out, this is pretty cool. Howrichami.com or .org. Um, and, and, and look, so if you have a household income of $30,000 and it's two adults, and I know that you're like, who makes that much, right? I mean, that's so sad. We should give to this guy. Um, you know, you have two adults and two children, okay? You are, ready for this? You're 81%, um, you're 81% richer than the entire world. 81% richer. At $30,000, okay? Now you say, all right, but how about this? How about the poverty line? Poverty line is $21,000. It doesn't change much. Maybe like 78%. You're still richer than more than 78%. Now let's make it more relevant because I know some of you guys are doing doing okay, right? I mean, uh, God willing. Uh, You make $60,000. Some of you are like, no, that's not not good. (laughs) You make $60,000. If you do that, two adults, two kids, you're 87% richer than the entire world the entire world okay think about this when, when god says give from what you have he's not saying give what you think you should give you hear that he's asking give from what you have that's what he called and, and it's not just uh, advice it's actually a commandment that's what he calls the people of israel and he's trying to build his purposes in um in, in redemptive time well, jesus uh, actually go to mark 12 go to mark chapter 12 and here we have another um kind of a, an illustration that Jesus gives uh, of this principle. And I have it too. All right. So um, Mark 12, 41 and 43, Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. These, these were vases. There were 13 vases by the outside of the temple. Many rich people threw large amounts. But a poor widow came and uh, put in two very small copper coins worthy, uh, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, now wh- what is two very small copper coins? I did the math. Next slide. Put it, put it up there. There you go. Okay. It's one sixty-fourth of a denarius, of a full day's wage, okay? So fight for 15, right? Isn't that the talk now? $15 an hour, then eight, uh, uh, eight hours of work, $120. One sixty-fourth of $120, it's around $1.88, let's, let's just say $2. So I- in today's time, she was putting in around $22. That was all she had, okay? Now, wh- when you think about this, when you think about how, um, you know, this woman had, had nothing, but yet she gave everything— we must ask ourselves, you know, it's not really about the amount of, of what we give. Did you guys capture it? It's not about an amount, but rather it is about us praying and discerning from all that God has given us, what is he calling us to give back for him, for his purposes. 
So when we're called as a community of people for God's purposes, we actually are not stingy, but we actually are extremely open because of all that we have. The problem is, of course, that sometimes we really don't even know what we have, right? <laughs> we, you know, we have so much stuff going on everywhere that we just go, I don't even know how much money I got. Let me just swipe the card and hope it works. You know what I'm saying? Um, some people are laughing like, oh my gosh, that just happened. Um, you know, I, I get you. Listen, I was 18 to 22 at a point in my life. I was that guy. But then you begin to see what God requires and what God commands. A life of order, a life of unity in marriage when it comes to finances. And if we don't have that, it is going to be extremely difficult for you to know what you have. Okay? You guys with me so far? You guys tracking with me? All right? I hope so. All right, good. Um, uh, because here's such a beautiful picture. When you think about what you can give to God, um, l- look again at these passages, right? That um, This is back Exodus 35. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, uh, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair. I was cracking up when I read this. Um, like all of it comes from what people had. Not everybody had gold. Not everybody had silver. Not everybody had bronze. Some people just had some goats running around, and they just, you know, however they did it, they bring them up. They go, listen, that's all I got to offer. Right? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. But, but, but you got to know what you have. If, if our financial, uh, you know, picture is like not clear, it's going to be very difficult to know what's important for the Lord and what he asks of us. Now, uh, I've been extremely blessed. I just want to say, uh, Garwood, Garwood Church, you know, of, of the stories and what God has done in this church. Uh, me, me coming in from the outside and, and, and kind of bring many, uh, many of you guys alongside of, of, of uh, Christy and I and, and seeing what God's doing. I've been so blessed by seeing how generous, I'm talking about generous, the, the, the people of Garwood have been um, in, in, in the prior decades. Um, if you know, if you were here in our um, uh, church uh, congregational meeting, you know how blessed we have been by the legacy of what God has done here, and amen to that. But let me, let me say this, um, God is not asking us to live off of what we have had. Does that make sense? God is asking us to give from what, who has? I have. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, and I think that we're so blessed, and we have to be cautious, even when the Lord blesses us, not to kind of go, well, well, we have lights turn on. It seems like we're okay, you know. Uh, Omar is always there every week. He seems like he's all right. That is not the way God asks us to give. God asks us to give from what we have, not everything that what we not not of everything that we see. God is always at work, and in uh, verses uh, ten through uh, nineteen, and you can read those on your own later. God begins to call people to serve Him. He calls artisans. He calls engineers to build this temple. He calls all these people to serve God, but he only does it. You know when he does it? After he has the resources to do it. You guys following this, right? He doesn't say, hey, everybody come. Who wants to serve? Amen. Awesome. Let's do it. Great. So how are we going to keep this thing How are we going to keep this thing going? The first thing he does is he gives the resources to the right people, people with the right heart, people with the right motive to build the purposes which he has called these people to do and to walk out. All right, with that, let's fast forward and go to, um, go to verse 20. Go to verse 20. Exodus 35, verse 20. So what are the people going to do? They're going to obey or not obey? What are they going to do? Let's see. Uh, the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved, uh, moved them 
came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men, women alike, came and brought gold jewelry, all kind of, I don't know how to say this word, I'm just going to say it, brooches, uh, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold, uh, and this is, I mean, this is fascinating. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Now, how many of you ever heard of what a wave offering is? But this is fascinating. Wave, wave offerings were, off, there were grain offerings or Thanksgiving offerings that were done during the fall. Every time that there would be a harvest, what people would do is um, the, the harvester would go to his field and they would give thanks to God, but they would, they would cut the first bundle of grain. They would cut it up, tie it up, before they even picked, before they even collected all that God had provided. They cut it up, they grabbed it, tied it up, brought it to the temple. They gave it to the priest. The priest would actually put a hand under them, and they would do this. They would actually go forward, saying, God, thank you, and they would go inward, we, we're, like, you blessed us with this grain. And they would do this three times. One, two, one, two. Symbolizing, right? What, what are they symbolizing here? That even before we touch this thing, even before we reap what you have given, I'm going to first cut a bundle and say thank you, and it's yours. And that grain would actually go to the Levites and the priests. Now, isn't that fascinating to you? I mean, that, that's so fascinating to me. Uh, so, some scholars think that it was actually the shape of a cross. They actually think that it was them doing this inside and then going to the community of people inside of it. So uh, that's just nerdy. That's just me being, being interested in that. Um, so so, so here's, here's what's happening. Right? The covenant community did not wait. They didn't go, well, let me pray about it. Uh, let me see the Lord speaking to me. Let me uh, see. Let me seek God and uh, see what's happening. No, no, they, they went willingly to do what God had commanded, but not only so, they turned it into an offering. They turned an, an offering of gold which into an offering of grain, of provision. I mean, that's how willing they were to do this for God. And you know why they did that? Because they had just been redeemed a second time. They just had the law presented to them again after Moses re, uh, asked, uh, asked the Lord to forgive them. And so we're moved by the heart. Our heart is what moves us to do this. We're not coerced into it. Um, and so with that, uh, I, had, I told you I'm going to drive this narrow road. Um, and so I want to give you a caution here as we think about being coerced to give. Um, I, I want to I tell you that there, there are times where there might be people who do want your money and who are extremely skilled in their um, communication and in their ministry that it may feel very natural for you to give because it just looks right. So let me, let me give you two ways in which um, I think we unknowingly can be coerced into giving uh, wrongly. And, um, and so let me, let me give you the first one. Um, the Bible is, uh, could be used as a financial guide and not to preach the gospel. In other words, the Bible is a transforming power which produces the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And, and it is not just a place where we get verses and throw them at you so that you can feel guilty into giving. Paul knew of a church, it's a Macedonian church, who was extreme, that was extremely generous. And in 2 Corinthians 8, he actually uses this church to, to kind of uh, bring a distinction with the, with the church of Corinth. But he doesn't beat Corinth down with them. I, I'm going to read to you uh, what he does. Do I, yeah, I have it here. Look, look what he says. I am not commanding you, this is about giving, talking to the Corinth church, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. If you go up in that chapter, it's Macedonia, uh, Macedonia church. 
for you know, and look, look he says, because, for, for the reason that, that's, that's the original Greek there, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that, that through his poverty, that, that you through his poverty might become rich. So what is, what is he doing, right? He, he talks about the Macedonian church, look how amazing they are, look how generous they are, but then he says this, but the principle behind it is that they know how poor we really are, right? That every blessing that we receive is actually God's blessing. And that blessing is actually, um, it's, it's over and above the greatest blessing, which is what? Our salvation in Christ. Does that make sense? And so Paul is drawing a distinction here of, uh, like, copy them, but also the reason why they're doing that is because they actually know what the gospel is about. They actually know why they're saved and what Christ has done the gospel does not coerce us into giving but it nurtures us into giving from into a willing heart i just want to challenge us that, that if you if, if this just kind of bothers you that man i'm just not a giver i'm just not that person we just my husband husband and wife just we just don't like this stuff i just commend to you second corinthians 8 go read that together and see how god doesn't force us to give but the bible and the gospel actually open our soft hearts to give to God's purposes. Okay, so that's one. The Bible is not to be used as a financial guide to beat you down with it, but as a, um, as a promise of God's redemptive love for us. Two, the vision, if we're to give, vision should be for God's purposes and not man's purposes. In Exodus 35, verse 1 and 4, these are the things the Lord has commanded. The Lord has commanded. Not Moses. Moses is writing it, but the Lord has commanded. And I'm just going to throw it out there. God will not ask you to pay a, pas a pastor superstar, uh, superstar salary. God is not going to ask you to go and, and pay a, you know, buy me a $2 million uh, Bentley, right? Uh, God's not going to ask you to get a pastor Rolls Royce. He's not going to ask you to buy a $200 million jet. You guys with me so far, some of you guys, right? Because vision comes from God and not from man. God will not ask you to build ministries without gospel purposes. Generosity, when it comes to God's purposes, are tethered, are united to whether or not the message of the cross is being expanded and advanced in a specific location or region. So, so what does that mean practically? We should be asking, how does this church fulfill the, the, the purposes of God in fulfilling Matthew 28, 19 and the Great Commission? How are more and more people coming to know the message of Jesus Christ through this endeavor. You, listen, and, and I'm going to say, I want to say this, hear my heart in this, and I, I don't mean this in a, in a rough and, and, and negative way, but you can give money to the poor as much as you want, but that person without the message of the gospel will still end up in the place of the lake of fire. So we have a responsibility to, st to be stewards of God's resources. If you're being asked to give money without a gospel purpose, I'm gonna, just going to say, you're being coerced. You know, uh, again, it, it might be really a, a nice thing to do. It may be a really nice building. It may be a really cool person. But if it isn't with an ultimate end of God's purposes, brothers and sisters, we have to check ourselves on whether or not this is the Lord. And so um, uh, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7. Paul takes all this idea of what we're talking about, a willing heart for God's purposes. And then he, he brings it uh, to us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
each, each of you, each of you, individual, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, right? Not because you're being, like, told you have to give. But under, uh, or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know we like that part of, like, God loves a cheerful giver. But, but look what precedes it, right? I mean, g- God loves it when it actually comes from you. Think about that. There's another level, there's another experience that you can have with God by simply becoming generous for His purposes. And so this is, um, this is why it matters, because uh, the message of the cross transforms us from, greeting, from greediness to generosity. Jesus sets us free so that our hearts are truly generous, so that we're not questioning what God is doing or saying, but from an overflow of this heart we give towards Him. Now, with that, why are we talking about this? Why, why now? Uh, well, um, I believe prophetically that, that, that COVID, in, at some point this year, as we see it's trending down, things are changing, I believe we must, be get, we must get ready to work. I believe this church, and I believe all churches, it's time to kind of lift up, you know, you know, lift up everything and let's get ready to work. I think this is the house, if this is the house God has called you to join, if you're a covenant member here, member here then, then you have put all your chips in. You know what that is, right? right? And, and I'm not, if, if you know me, my personality, I'm not a half, halfway guy. I'm an all chips in, man. And so that's what we're looking for here. But we're doing it for gospel-centered purposes. We're not gimmicky people. We're gospel-centered people. And as uh, our culture changes, as uh, the world tries to push us and, and silence the church, as we feel pressed and more pressed with all that's going on, um, we have to be able to move forward and not backward. And the way we do that is not simply by wishful thinking, uh, but it's by provision of the Lord through uh, His members. And so let me give you three ways in which that, that looks like here. And listen, if you're a first-time guest here, or you've been coming here for like three months, don't freak out, okay? We love you. You don't have to give anything, I promise. Uh, but, but you really do have, this is just kind of a, a little bit for those that are covenant members, but let me give you three ways that I think there's work to be done. First, we have a missions team, missions team right now that is projecting and praying about orphan ministry in our area, looking at the needs of foster parents and fostering children. What does that entail? Housing, food, provision. Do we have, do we have a, another staff house that we have, can provide and use it as a fostering? No, we don't. Why can't the Lord give us a house? Amen? Why, why can't we believe that? You, you guys with me on this, right? If, we, if this is God's purposes, then we, we can't believe that. There's also a local church equipping happening here at the church. We're going to bring church planters in areas of Patterson, Clifton, who do ministry among the unreached, which are um, um, people that have no access to the Bible or have never heard the message of Jesus Christ. We're going to bring them to train us. But, but my goal is, you know, we're living in, in some of the most diverse places in the world. North Jersey, you guys know this, extremely diverse. If you want to go to, you know, to the little Middle East in, in, in Patterson or in Clifton, you can do so, but you know what? There's no churches there. There's no gospel-centered churches. So how do we plant churches? Well, we're just going to, who wants to go? All right, you go ahead and figure yourself out. No. How do we pay for a full-time pastor? Think about Spanish ministry, right? Garwood has grown more than 15% just these past 15 years in, in, the, in the Spanish community. So how do, we, how do we reach the Spanish people? We need to get a Spanish pastor. How do we do that? 
I don't know. Well, we need God to provide. You guys hear, you guys hear what I'm saying? Like, we can't move forward unless God begins to move our hearts and willingly give into this. Uh, another, another thing that, that the Lord can do, um, right now we have ministries and the church is expanding and it's a blessing. But, but we need, like, support as backbones, right? Right now, I'm the, I'm the admin. I'm the, uh, I mean, Valerie and Maria help me with other stuff and communications guy, and I'm the uh, equipping guy. But we need people to help us, like, actually help us uh, organize things. And we have people that have helped us uh, greatly. But we actually need somebody that's, that's here, that we can, you know, in generosity say, help us, and, and here's a salary. And again, all these things are ultimately so that the gospel goes forth more fluid and in a better way. And so don't, don't hear this. Again, if you're here and you're just getting to know Jesus, you know, don't hear this from like, oh, man, I got to give into this. This is just kind of um, something from the heart. And so as believers, okay, those are two things I wanted just to mention. A- as believers, we know that we're not building a tabernacle, right? We're not, we're not building an actual tabernacle. But we are called to give to God's purposes. And we can't do it unless the Lord changes our hearts daily, weekly, monthly and 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 every time that the lord blesses us with with gift and so let me look what happens in exodus 35 verse 29 um, i think i might have this one here all the this is finishing here the, the passage all the israelite men and women who were willing brought to the lord free will offerings for all the work that the lord through moses had commanded them to do and, and here i'm going to read you just the, how this ends watch this Ex, Ex, exodus 36 this is so powerful, so powerful. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained. In other words, in, in the Hebrew, it's actually they grabbed, I mean, it grabbed them. It has that sense of the word. Grabbed them from bringing more because what they had was more than enough to, to do all the work of the Lord. What a transformation, isn't it? Here's these people who have sinned before God. The Lord had forgiven them. The ta- they were worshiping idols. And on the other side of the redemptive story, they are giving more than what was expected to build God's purposes. The contributions were so great that Moses had to actually stop them from giving. Think about that. I don't know. Anybody challenged by that? Because I am. As we look and we enter a new season... I want to challenge us that if you want a place to grow in your relationship with Christ and your uh, part in the gospel, why not make it this one? Why not make it this one? Um, if you want to see uh, this, this church flourish, you know, why not, why not serve it in this way? And I hear it all the time, you know, and, and it's, this, it's a small church. This is, you know, we're a small church, and, and we say that. But, but what does God want from this church? How does it want it to grow? And whatever purposes he has, he will only do it as we willingly give to his purposes. Amen? Amen. Let me pray and um, and just ask the Lord to um, just move in us this morning as we sing um, songs, one more song together. I'll ask you to stand and to ask the Lord that, first, Lord, what do I have? That's really the first question. Lord, what do I have? Father, what do I have, Lord, to give? I really have nothing. That's what Johnny said at the beginning of the service. We have nothing to offer you, but Lord, in the gospel we do. In the cross of Christ, in your love, in your 
your forgiveness, Lord, we are made new people, and we do have things to offer, our love for you. And our love expressed in so many ways, love for you, love for our neighbor, love for God's people, and love in our offering, love into what we're called to give and bring. Father, I just pray for this church, Lord, that we may be a people that are not just generous, Lord, but are following the commandments to give, following the commandments to be generous, giving all to you. Father, I pray that as we roll up our sleeves, God, that we may be all in for what you have called our church to be and to do. Let's just take a moment just meditate on this truth, Lord. Make me turn my heart into a willing heart for your purpose. that the Lord may, may turn our hearts towards His glorious purposes.